Today on The Courier Daily, the founder of a new wellness brand that makes an immune booster explains how she's navigating the crisis. I mean, for us as a brand, our philosophy is always how do we be helpful and supportive because that's the fundamental part of our products as health products that are meant to support people. All companies are sort of adopting that focus. We're all kind of having the shared experience and whether that's just striking a positive tone and sort of being a break from the news cycle or actually contributing to your community through donations or time in any way that's actually practical or soliciting and finding experts to comment with a true platform of expertise to comment on what's happening. All of those things and all that sentiment is really moving and important and we're trying to channel that right now ourselves. And I do think that across the board, that's something that everyone should be trying to do. Then one product seemingly tailor-made for the at-home era are jigsaw puzzles. So how's the founder of a new puzzle brand keeping up with the spike in demand? There are studies connected puzzles to like improved sleep and memory and anxiety reduction. And so I think especially if it's kind of discovered as this tool that there is potential for it to have some some lasting power. And a bit later, we're in Hong Kong to talk business with Mark Cho, the founder of menswear shop The Armory. When we do our cash flows now, we basically do our cash flows under the assumption that like our costs are not going to change and our income is going to you know, drop significantly, like potentially to zero. And we're just trying to see like how long we can last under those circumstances. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 13th of April, and this is the new daily podcast from Courier. We're checking in with small business owners and experts all over the world to find out ways to adapt and grow during the crisis. First up today, I'm on the line with Hillary Kortner, the co-founder of Hilma, a new supplements brand that's particularly timely given one of Hilma's main products designed for immune support. And Hillary, I mean, I want to get into how you're marketing the company in just a sec. But first, could you explain the backstory a bit? We were inspired by sort of this gap we saw in the market between traditional OTC options and more traditional natural approaches. And people were are craving sort of a scientifically informed natural option. And that's mostly missing in most pharmacy shelves. So you launched about, what, two months before all of this insanity happened? Yeah. So basically we had the month of February as pre any talk really in the U.S. of COVID for the most part. And then the last month has been very much influenced by by that. For most brands in your position, this would be a terrible time to launch a brand. However, you do happen to be in like the wellness health space and one of your products is immune support, as you just said. So I'm interested to know how you delicately walk that tightrope between plugging a product that you think people need at the moment while also getting the tone right so it doesn't seem like you're taking advantage of the situation. I mean, we're very aware of the fact and we are experiencing the fact with the rest of the global population that this is an extremely scary and serious moment. And so what you said about tone and intent around marketing is extremely important to us. And we do not want to take advantage of the situation in any way, nor suggest that our immune support product addresses the coronavirus. 
But what we are finding is that people organically have just had a complete overhaul of their normal routines and they're reexamining their rituals and health is very much at the center of that. So we're just happy to be able pre and post COVID to sort of introduce ourselves to customers since we are a new brand, let them know we're here, that we have high quality products that are sort of filling this part of the market. And we just hope that we can make people feel supported and good about their health routines. It's a great point that you just made there that for those of us who are lucky enough to escape the virus and stay healthy, this is a good opportunity to wipe the slate clean and create rituals and practices that will hopefully last beyond this crisis, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that extends across all categories, food, you know, sleep habits where people are able to think about that right now, stress management, which is especially acute right now for everybody. And all of those things contribute to just sort of what is your what does your daily routine mean? And I think that comes more into focus as you're brought outside of your normal routine. Do you think that this this crisis is going to be you know the great leveler of D to C companies? I mean, we had on the um, the furniture company Floyd a couple of days ago in Detroit. They sell flat pack furniture all around the country. They said this is going to be probably the time where D to C companies that don't solve a very particular problem are going to be swept away. I mean, it's one thing to have nice topography and visuals and branding. It's another thing to really solve a problem that customers need to be solved. Well, I think our perspective at Helma has always been that we are not so much DTC as omnichannel, and it's just a matter of sequencing. So we just be by nature of our category and the way that people shop for uh, the products that we're addressing in the medicine cabinet. People buy them at their grocery store while they're while they're stocking up on other things. It can be either a proactive plan. It oftentimes is very much reactive, and it very much happens in brick and mortar. So for us, DTC has played a specific role in that strategy to sort of foster direct connection with the consumer, get really early feedback, iterate on our product, our messaging, make sure we understand what like is really resonating with our community and then transition to other channels. So for us right now, obviously, we're thinking more broadly about not so much how much has this impacted DTC, but how has this impacted brick and mortar for the next like 18 to 24 months? And how has it impacted big e-commerce players like an Amazon or other smaller e-commerce players that are more focused on the natural consumer that we're trying to speak to? So for us, it's sort of in some ways accelerating channels that we weren't as focused on in, in our initial 18 to 24 months. But DTC for us is, was, was part of a larger picture. As far as like as what I think might happen in the DT space more generally is I think it has to do with acquisition channels and companies being more open-minded and creative to how do you find your customer. I think there has been an over-reliance on Facebook and that's sort of what is starting to topple the structure here. I think there's going to be an acceleration of things that might have happened over a longer period of time. When you wake up in the morning, what are your biggest priorities in terms of the company? What are you most focused on right now? Is it cash flow? Is it staff? Is it marketing? 
All of those things are important. We have a pretty small team because, again, we're a new company. So we have made a concerted effort to have a daily stand-up every morning and make the team feel connected, both with things that are related to work and things that aren't related to work because we're a new team and people are actually just starting to get to know each other, which is interesting to have this happen during this time. It's been sort of a fast forward there, too, as we're like sitting in each other's living rooms. How many staff do you have? So we have a team of six total. There's three of us as co-founders. So we're pretty small. We work with an extended network of freelancers, et cetera. And so it's just a matter of everyone adjusting to this new like remote work setup. But as far as what we think about most, it's sort of what I said before, which is the same pre-COVID as it is now, which is just like, how do we get people to learn about us? There is a big focus on marketing and it's really just how do we tell our story in a way that people understand and feel excited about and they try. So that's been the same since we launched. (laughs) Are there any just nuggets of advice or tips or wisdom or lessons learned you've come across in the past couple of weeks that might be helpful for entrepreneurs in your position? Yeah, I think that, I mean, for us as a brand, our philosophy is always how do we be helpful and supportive? Because that's the fundamental part of our products as health products that are meant to support people. But I think more than ever, all companies are sort of adopting that focus of how can we be helpful? Like there's, we're all kind of having this shared experience and whether that's just striking a positive tone and sort of being a break from the news cycle or actually contributing to your community through donations or time in any way that's actually practical or soliciting and finding experts to comment with a true platform of expertise to comment on what's happening. All of those things and all that sentiment is really moving and important. And we're trying to channel that right now ourselves. And I I do think that across the board, that's something that everyone should be trying to do. Besides the wellness industry, other obvious sectors on the rise are food delivery, video conferencing, streaming entertainment, and at-home lifestyle industries like gardening or board games. Well, a bit earlier I caught up with Kaylin Marcotte. She's the founder of a new jigsaw puzzle brand called Jiggy. Kaylin was previously the first employee at the female-focused media company, The Skim, and she got inspired to start Jiggy after finding puzzles a pretty good way to deal with stress. Almost puzzle as meditation. She launched her brand back in November, but when the crisis hit some months later, she saw sales skyrocket. We essentially sold out of everything in the last three weeks. We have one SKU left, and so rushed back into production. Luckily, our supply chain is still fully operational, but yeah, rushed back and kind of figuring out how to use this time where we're certainly going to be sold out for about a month. So where are your suppliers based, by the way? So our suppliers are in Hong Kong, our fulfillment is in Pennsylvania and California, and everyone is still fully operational. So that's been great. And, you know, it's hard. One thing that that I'm curious to see how this all plays out, of course, the circumstances we would ever hope for. I'm curious to see if people, you know, are rediscovering hobbies and kind of, you know, back to the basics, simple joys and creating habits now that will remain um, when life returns to some normalcy or if you know this is just a moment in time so figuring out like inventory around that and projecting it out is its new challenge but yeah right now we are sold out of all but one skew and just in a mad dash to go back into production 
I mean, how do you plan for that? Do you have two different projections? One in which you've ingrained that puzzle lifestyle and habit into their brain for life. And then another case in which they completely forget about it as soon as the shelter in place orders end, basically. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. And, you know, I think it it does kind of layer onto what will be happening. You know, we've heard, okay, maybe summer there will be some relief. And then as these things tend to happen, potentially the fall will come back and we'll have to resume this at-home lifestyle. So kind of mapping it onto what might be happening in the world over the rest of the year. But yeah, and then just anecdotal feedback, kind of surveying. We've been paying a lot of attention to our social media and just kind of the social chatter. And, you know, it does seem like a lot of the messaging has been kind of this rediscovery. So I think especially for puzzles, like, you know, people are familiar with them, have some kind of nostalgia or association with them, and then hadn't really done one for most of their adult life and now are are kind of rediscovering them. So I do think there's opportunity for it to remain, especially the the mindfulness angle and kind of the stress relief and you know, their studies connected puzzles to like improved sleep and memory and anxiety reduction. And so I think especially if it's kind of discovered as this tool that there is potential for it to have some some lasting power. And finally, we're off to Hong Kong. My good friend Mark Cho is the founder of The Armory, a well-known menswear brand with shops in Hong Kong and New York. And he's also the co-owner of the British brand Drake's. And Mark, I mean, first of all, I just want to know how your business has been impacted over the past couple of weeks. Football's definitely way down. It's funny, like we've been dealing with the protests as well over the last 12 months. Football has been down for like a year already. And it's just like COVID made a bad situation worse. You know, our business is definitely proportional to our footfall. And our footfall is proportional to people working in the offices around us, right? Like if you have a lot of people working from home, they're just not in the area to like come by and look at some stuff and maybe buy some stuff. Work from home is still pretty strong right now. Like most companies have actually been on work from home since January. Interestingly, I am noticing a lot of customers who do come by say, damn, I am sick of working from home. Like they really like want to get out. There's a very palpable sense of like, I want to get back into my office. And then funnily, another thing I'm hearing is people being like, you know, I never realized how little that guy does, like referring to, you know, like some colleague who they normally see in the office, but they never realized that that guy doesn't really do anything. Yeah. I mean, it really exposes people's real efficiencies, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So I think that'll probably pan out when it comes to like job cuts and, you know, retrenchments like later this year, early next year. And what about the health of the business itself? I mean, obviously, if only five guys are coming into the shop, a day to buy a suit? Are you, are you sitting on enough cash reserves to get you through the next half year or year? We have a little bit of cash so we can survive a little while, but you know, it's not unlimited and it's definitely not comfortable. We are delaying any payments we can make. We're cutting any trips that we can cut. So obviously, you know, things like Pitti Womo, which is the big trade show for us, we're not going. And what about the retail atmosphere within the shop itself? I mean, with social distancing? Have you had to adapt to the way you actually work within the shop, you know, trying on clothes and stuff like that? Surprisingly, that has not been an issue for us. And, you know, the shop is never so crowded that you feel like you're getting swarmed by people anyways. Everyone in the shop wears a mask. We don't wear gloves and we don't do temperature checks because we're not a restaurant. Is that mandatory for restaurants in Hong Kong? Um, A lot of restaurants, the fancier ones will provide gloves for their staff. 
not everybody because you know after a while it just gets expensive but the fancy ones will provide gloves and temperature checks are mandatory and also a lot of the nicer restaurants will give you a form to fill out for contact tracing as well are there any other tangible practical tips or lessons you've learned running the company these past few weeks uh, that might be helpful for others to know i mean we've been very diligent on like whatever government aid we can get we get out there and we make sure we have the paperwork in order and we go and try and apply for it. From the Hong Kong government? Hong Kong and U.S. governments. You know, for U.S. would be federal and state. U.K. the same thing as well. When we do our cash flows now, we basically do our cash flows under the assumption that like our costs are not going to change. Then our income is going to, you know, drop significantly, like potentially to zero. And we're just trying to see like how long we can last under those circumstances. We have furloughed retail staff because it's just like we, at this point, we definitely cannot afford to pay people who aren't, you know, generating revenue for us. We have spoken to every landlord and luckily our landlords have been helpful. It hasn't come down to it yet for us, but, you know, I, th- I think that if you're in a position where you're asked to pay rent and you are really having cash flow problems, just don't pay it. I just think that right now as a tenant, like, if you think you're going to have trouble, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to just like be late on your on your payment to your landlord. I don't know if I should even be saying that publicly or not. It might get me in a lot of trouble now I think about it. And what about from a personal perspective? I mean, you've hunkered down in Hong Kong, but you also tend to spend tons of months every year in, in London and in New York. I mean, you have shops there. Are you in Hong Kong for the foreseeable future, you think? Yeah. I mean, where am I going to go, right? Like I worry if I go somewhere, I'll get stuck. And, you know, Hong Kong is a closed system right now, which isn't a bad thing at, at a moment like this. Like, you, unless you're a Hong Kong resident, you're not allowed into Hong Kong, period. So it's very easy to say, like, to keep tabs on who's got COVID and where it could potentially go as a result. And I think that's the thing that people forget about the virus is that if you actually know where all the cases are, it's not that hard to actually keep tabs on it and be able to have some sort of predictability in the whole situation. The contact tracing is pretty rigorous, which is good. I think that people remember SARS in Asia. So like hygiene habits are really good, not just the mask thing, but also just like frequent washing hands and really being careful and cognizant of like where other people are and if they might affect you or not. And given the situation in the physical world in real life, have you been pivoting to e-commerce, you know, pressing the accelerator there? I wouldn't say pressing the accelerator. I think we've tailored our content a little bit more towards people working from home. Like for instance, at Drake's, we're doing a lot of, a little bit more lifestyle type stuff. And we're trying to push products that are more relevant to people's lives as they are working from home. I definitely don't think this is a good time to be pushing the accelerator as in like trying to push more product at people because it's kind of annoying and it's kind of destructive to a brand. I think this is a good moment for brand building in a way that's just about the brand, like just cementing in people's minds, maintaining people's attention on what you're doing, but definitely taking your foot off the pedal when it comes to trying to sell them stuff. My special thanks to Hillary Kortner, Kaylin Markop, and Mark Cho for today's show. Have any question at all that you want answered from legal to financial to branding to marketing? Well, just record your question and email it to us at daniel at couriermedia.co and we might just be able to answer it on a show. Make sure to also sign up to Courier Weekly for more stories of pivoting, adapting, surviving, and growing. Head to couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. The Courier Daily is back again tomorrow. 